If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 1. Um, we're going to be in the first nine verses of this chapter today. And uh, moving around a little bit, we're going to jump around to the latter part of the book uh, in a little while and, and jump around a little bit afterwards. But I want to talk about courage today because this is going to be one of the major themes that's going to run from beginning to end in Joshua's narrative. In fact, about nine different times you're going to hear this command, be strong. Right? And the five different times it's going to get even more specific and he's going to say, be strong and courageous. In other words, don't just be strong, be full of courage. Right? That's what I'm going to need you to do. And so uh, it may feel a little bit like a Braveheart or maybe even your favorite Avengers movie or something like that. Nevertheless, as you get into his story, uh, we're going to be able to relate with it quite a bit because as you and I well know, there are a lot of things in the world today that bring us fear. Um, even this past week, I was reading an article about how there's pretty much a phobia for pretty much everything that you can possibly think about today. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but uh, literally it used to just be arachnophobia, uh, fear of spiders and ophidiophobia, fear of snakes and things like that. I mean, literally the list is hundreds and hundreds of uh, names long now. And so there's a million things that can bring us fear. A couple of the funnier ones I was thinking about, um, there's one called oct octophobia, which is the fear of the number eight. Right? So I don't know if that's you, no, no judgment or shame if that is, but evidently some people have a legitimate fear of the number eight. And so I never have eight point sermons or anything like that. We just try to stay away from that for your sake. It's because I love you and care about you. Uh, but, but that's oct octophobia. Olfactophobia olfactophobia, right? This is the fear of foul smells, right? And so this is every mother of a junior high student, I assume. It's the fear of foul smells. And so uh, I think that one's pretty legit, pretty common, I would imagine. Coolrophobia, the fear of clowns, right? If you've seen the movie It, which you should never see the movie. However, the fear of clowns, a uh, very legitimate one. There's tocophobia, which is the fear of uh, pregnant women, Daniel Sage. So uh, anyway, fear of pregnant women right there. Uh, legitimate fear. Some people really have that. But point of the matter is like we know this. There's a lot of things going on in the world today and around us all the time that make us afraid. And it's not that little, it's not always the tiny petty things that make us afraid. I mean, legitimate things today like COVID numbers that are spiking, an economy that's still crashing, right? There's racial conflict all over the place. I mean, there's a lot of different things. Even every, every transition and every major change in our life, it's full of fear. I mean, you think about the jump from high school to college. I mean, as excited as you and I were, it's full of fear. You go from college to single life and single life to professional life, it's full of fear, that first job. You move from there into marriage. I mean, it's terrifying endeavor to make that step. And then you bring kids into the equation. It's terrifying as kids grow up and they go through each new change of, of age and, and level of maturity. I mean, there's a lot of fear that goes along with that. Even you, you grow up a little bit more from there, there's an empty nest thing. And then you deal with the, the, the loss of life and the loss of companionship, uh, moving and changing of jobs. The point of the matter, like it, it never stops. Every single transition, every change in our life, it's full of fear. And so courage is necessary and courage is required if you and I are ever going to walk through the fears of life. I love the way Anais Nin, she put it like this. She says, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. I'm going to say that again. Life shrinks or it expands in proportion to one's courage. And so that's my hope and my prayer for us today, that life really for us, it would expand as we walk in the fullness of everything that God would have for you and for me in direct proportion to the courage that you're able to cling to today. And so that is my hope for us today. And I think Joshua is going to help us get there. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, once again, Joshua chapter one is where we're going to be. We're going to pick it up in verse one. But if you're not familiar with this part in the story or who Joshua is or anything like that, his story is going to pick up immediately after Moses' death. 
and immediately after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so uh, if you know a little bit about Bible history, um, Israel's already been redeemed from slavery, the hands of the Egyptians. They've already crossed the Red Sea. You remember that, the Charlton Heston movies and everything. They've crossed the Red Sea. God, they've gone to Mount Sinai. God has given them the law and the different Ten Commandments. Uh, he's already led them one time to the edge of the promised land. And so he's brought Moses and the people to the edge of the promised land. And you remember this scene where he sends 12 different spies into the land, and they go in there to scout it out and say, hey, are we really going to be able to take the land as God promised us or not? And you remember what happens? Ten of them come back and they're saying, hey, those guys in there, way too big. It's a beautiful land. It's, full, it's flowing with milk and honey. This is, this is the promised land. This is incredible land. However, those guys are a little bit too big for our God. And there's only two people, Joshua and Caleb, who come back and they're full of courage. Nevertheless, God looks at all of their fear. And in, in, in looking at their fear, he says, okay, if you're not going to trust me to go in and take the land, then, then no land for you. And for the next 40 years, this generation of Israelites, they're going to be wandering in the wilderness and they're not going to be able to inherit the land. And so Joshua's story is going to pick up just after that 40 years is finished. Moses has passed away. And here's what it's going to say, starting in verse one. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, who's Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am going to give you to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised already to Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you in the days, all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Again, he's going to repeat it in verse 7. He's going to say, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it from the right to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law on, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and then you'll be then you'll find success. Same thing again in verse nine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so you're seeing this theme run from the very beginning. to Even in the first nine verses, it's repeated over and over again. Verse six, be strong and courageous. Verse seven, be strong and, and very courageous. Not just a little bit courageous, but we need you to be very, very courageous. Verse nine, have I not commanded you? Be strong again and courageous. I love the way Howard Hendricks defines courage. He says it like this. He says, courage is not about the absence of fear, right? So we're not talking about the absence of fear. It's not about the absence of fear. It is the ability to keep walking by faith, even through the presence of debilitating fear. And so that's what we're talking about right here, right? It's, we're not talking about a personality type that likes reckless things. We're not talking about the person who's just the risk taker and, 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 and doesn't care about anything there. We're not talking about this wave of emotion that you and I may or may not feel. We're talking about a decision which you make in the presence of fear to keep walking by faith no matter what. In fact, the word that he uses here in the Hebrew is hazak weamas, right? It's the words that literally say, be strong and courageous. It's a word that, that which simply means to be obstinate or even brave in the deepest recesses of your heart. And so it literally means to be strong in heart, obstinate in heart. My heart is so strong. There's nothing that's going to make me waver, nothing that's going to make me shift to the right or to the left. 
Webster's going to pick up on this in the English language, and it's going to say, um, it's going to say, it is the strength to venture, the strength to risk and persevere and withstand, and withstand danger. And so you put these two things together. That's the picture that he's describing right here. A believer who is full of courage is someone whose heart is going to be strong and steadfast and obstinate in the ways of the Lord. It's going to be someone who is willing to take risks, willing to resist evil and do what's right, even in the face of opposition. I love the way uh, Maya Angelou talks about it like this, but she says that courage is now the virtue that ensures the existence of every other virtue. It's why there's such, there's such emphasis here um, in Joshua's life right here. Courage is the virtue which ensures the existence of every other virtue. In other words, like it's great to talk about love. You can't have love. Uh, if, you have, if you think about love, you talk about love, uh, but you do not have courage, then you'll never be able to do the work of love. Right? Courage is the thing that which, which makes love come to action. It's the same thing when we're talking about truth. You can know the truth. You can study the tr- truth. You can memorize the truth. Right? If you don't have courage, then you're never going to be willing to utilize the truth in the moments you need to use it. And so the Lord comes along to Joshua right here, and he simply tells him, he says, go. Here's the, here's the assignment that I have for you. I want you to go. Be strong and courageous, and then lead these people into the land which I had promised your fathers long ago. And you know from the rest of the story, it's exactly what Joshua does. And because there's two things that Joshua is able to hold on to here that are working side by side, I want us to, gra- I want us to understand here today. But there's two things that are working side by side that are going to help Joshua grab hold of courage. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is very simply love. Okay, it's very simply love. And you're not going to see this explicitly right here in the text, but it's all over the story. And we're going to see this even in the backstory of Joshua. We read about it in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. It's talking about the tent of meeting and how Moses, um, before they entered the land, before the tabernacle, before the, the temple was built or anything, he would go out to the tent of meeting. And as God's representative, he would go in and he would meet with the Lord, talk with the Lord, and then he would go back to the people and share with the people what God had told him. And so it's talking about this time, and it says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would go and he would return to the camp. And it says in verse 33 that his young aide, Joshua, the son of Nun, he would not leave the tent. And so that's the picture of Joshua as a young uh, mentee to an older Moses. They together would go to the tent of meeting. Moses would take off to go be with the people, and Joshua couldn't wait to get more of the Lord. Uh, he, he, just, he just savored the presence of God. He wanted to stick around when Moses had other work to be done. And so like, that's the heart of Joshua that's taking place right here. It's why we see Numbers chapter 13, Joshua is going to be one of the two spies. The other is Caleb that's going to come back and they're going to say, no, 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 we can trust our God. We can trust our, I, I know there's giants in the land. We can trust our God. Our God is bigger. We need to go and we need to go walk by faith. And so like that's who Joshua was. He was a man who has deeply, deeply loved the Lord. And the reason I make a point of that is because like we have to understand like love is one of the most powerful motivators of courage on the planet. It just is. Like love is one of the most powerful motivators of courage on the planet. I mean, just think about some of the things that you do in the name of love. I mean, when I fell in love with Kat, Right? When, I love it, when I fell in love with Kat, somehow like, I was able to push past my sweaty palms and like, my heartbeat that was going about 100 miles per hour in order to ask her out on a date. I mean, think about some of the things that you do in the name of love. I mean, you love a team, and you may even show up to a game, and you're wearing a crazy wig and maybe even a little bit of body paint, and you're yelling like crazy things in the, st- in the stands because you love your team. I mean, think about like even for love for a sibling, even love for a sibling is going to cause you to do things you wouldn't typically do. I was thinking about this story that my aunt and my uncle love to tell about my mom. 
but evidently she was in high school at this time, and she's walking home from school one day, and she turns the corner on her street, and she notices this mob of students that's in the front yard of one of the neighbors. And she's walking, and she's like, what is everybody gathering for? And as she gets closer, she realizes there is a group of bullies that is picking on her little brother. And she sees her little brother in the middle of this crowd, and they're being picked on and shoved and punched and all these other things. And this rage builds up inside my mom. And she starts running towards this mom, and she pulls off this backpack, and she whacks these bullies across the head uh, with her backpack. And she, like, stands by her brother, and she's like, what? Back off! Back off! And so my mom, like, comes to the defense of my brother. And so they go back home, and then the story's pretty hilarious. These bullies' mom uh, brings one of the bullies over to my mom's house and is like, uh, ma'am, I understand that your daughter beat up my son, and uh, I'm not okay with that. And then my mom's like, grandma's kind of like, uh, my daughter beat up your, okay, sure, whatever. But the story goes, like, they're having this conversation afterwards, and grandma's trying to reprimand my mom and say, like, Bev, like, this is not what we do. We don't, we don't get in fights. And my mom just kept saying, but, but mom, like, it's, it's my brother. It's, it's David. It's David. He was being beat. He was being beat up. What else are you? Gonna, what else do you want me to do? But church, like that's what I'm saying. Like that's what love does. Love makes you courageous. Love makes you courageous. It makes you do things you would not otherwise do. If you were to go on YouTube right now, you would find a, a video of a bus driver in Brooklyn, and he's driving down the street. And he's driving down the street. He sees a seven-year-old autistic girl that's dancing on top of an external air conditioning unit on a three-story building. And he sees what's taking place. This girl is clearly not doing what she's supposed to be doing. It's a long three-story fall. He immediately pulls over the bus. He runs over by this unit, and he just holds out his hand. He's just waiting for this little girl to fall from dancing on this AC unit. And sure enough, after about a, a minute or two of waiting, it's exactly what happens. She falls off. She's not, and she falls off, and he runs over, and he just puts his body underneath her, and like, and he sort of catches her, but he, but he just, he just like. Um, his stomach's the fall a little bit. It just rips out his arms, like the tendons and his arms are all made. It just hurt. It, it crushed his body. And you're watching this video, and, and I remember watching this for one of the first times, thinking, okay, like, how in the world are we witnessing this scene in the first place? Like, who? And that's when it occurred to me. I'm watching this video, and I'm realizing, okay, it's not, like, that, that man, that bus driver, was not the only one that was there that day. There was another person who happened to be walking by at the same time. But for three minutes, the difference was that he decided to pull out a phone and to film this little girl that was dancing on an AC unit. And so that's what he does. He says for three minutes, he's just sitting there going, hey, that girl's about to fall to her death. And his decision is, hey, I'm going to pull out this phone and I'm going to film it so I can post it on YouTube and get a million likes. And it's exactly what happens. The little girl falls and you just hear on this little recording, this guy's like, whoa, whoa, that's crazy. That's crazy. And so there's two people on the scene that day. One person looks at this little girl dancing on this AC unit, and he decides to pull out his phone and take, a, and, and take a video. Meanwhile, the other guy runs to the scene and decides to embrace her fall. The news cameras, they're interviewing this guy who caught the girl a little bit later on, and they're going, bro, like, what made you do it? Why in the world did you decide to stop? And I love the guy's response. He just simply goes like, you know what? I, I saw my kids in her. I started thinking about my kids. And he goes, you know, anyone who has kids or anyone who just loves people, they would go and they would do the exact same thing. But you're like, that's what love does. It, it, it fills you with courage. Love makes you do things you would not otherwise do. It gives you the courage necessary to do the things that you would not otherwise do. And it's exactly what's taking place here with Joshua. Like Joshua is a man that deeply loves the Lord. 
Like when he gathers outside of the tent of meeting and he wants to linger and he wants to hang around. He is a man who deeply loves the Lord. And so when God comes calling and he says, I want you to go into this land and to go take the land, the answer for Joshua is already yes. No matter how difficult the task may be that God is calling him to. And so that's the first thing that um, is, is it's, uh, it's just very simply this love. The second part of the equation I want to talk about is that God is, he's already given him this formula for success. And we know that courage rises or falls based on how confident you are of success. Courage rises or falls based on how confident you are of success. And this is exactly what God does. He gives him, uh, uh, he gives him the assurance of success in this passage. I was reminded of uh, my senior year in high school playing baseball. Klein Oak High School, we played Spring High School, which is one of our rivals around that time, and uh, had the opportunity to face Josh Beckett, the great Josh Beckett, for the first time ever. At that point in time, didn't really know who he was. He would later go on to be the second pick in the baseball draft right behind Josh Hamilton, but easily one of the greatest high school baseball players um, we've ever seen. Uh, just, he was absolutely incredible. We didn't know who he was at that time. All we knew was that we were playing spring high school and they were pitching a sophomore against us, the mighty seniors, the mighty Klein Oak. And I don't know if you've been around high school students in sports and athletics, but you, th- you throw a sophomore against us. I mean, we were full of courage that day. I mean, all we heard, like, they're throwing this rookie out against us. And, and I, I remember that before the game began, like we were lined up in the, we were lined up in the dugout. We were pumped up. We were jumping around and everything. We're talking trash and, and we're yelling at him and stuff. And I'll never forget, Josh rolls up to the mound that time. We'd never seen him throw before ever. And all of a sudden he just goes through his thing and he just starts warming up and like throwing from the mound. And all of a sudden our dugout got quiet. I mean, we, we were sitting there going, like I've never seen a fastball go that fast in high school. I've never seen a curveball do what it was doing that day. I mean, we called over one of the dads and there were scouts in the stands. We're like, hey, where did the scouts come from? Why are they here to watch this guy? And so we grabbed him. We're like, hey, how fast is he throwing right now? And he showed us the gun, 95 miles per hour. I'm not kidding you. Like we went from exuberant talking trash and confidence and courage to silence uh, in, in a matter of seconds. But church, like that's what this does. Like courage rises and falls based on how confident you are of success. And so God comes in and he immediately assures Joshua of success. That's what he does. He comes in in verse 30 and he says, I'm going to give you every place where you will set your foot as I promised to Moses. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. In other words, another assurance of success. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you and I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. And church, like that's all it took for Joshua to rise up with courage. It's the same thing with Moses. Like we read this and uh, he says, as I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you. It's the same thing. This is going back to Exodus chapter three, the famous scene where Moses is talking to God in the middle of a burning bush. And, uh, and, and God essentially says, hey, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and demand that he let my people go. I, I, you're the agent, you're the leader that I'm going to use to lead my people into freedom. And Moses is terrified at this calling. He's insecure about who he is. He's a stutterer. He doesn't think he's a leader. He doesn't think he can do these different things. You remember what God tells him? God, God, looks, God, God tells him in the middle of this burning bush, he says, Moses, don't be afraid because I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And as you know from the rest of the story, it's all it took for Moses to go and do the things that God had called him to do because he knows this about God. God is a God who comes and he fights on behalf of his people. He fights with and he fights for his people. And again, that's what we see play out in the rest of the story. Joshua chapter 6, it's the battle of Jericho, probably the worst battle plan ever. Nevertheless, it succeeds. This is the scene where God tells the nation of Israel, I want you to go and I want you for six consecutive days, once a day, I want you to go march around the walls of Jericho in silence and do nothing. Just march around. That's it. 
On the seventh day, I want you to do it seven different times. On the seventh time you march around, I want you to all of a sudden start shouting and blowing these trumpets and then let me do, let me come and do what I do so well. I mean, like I said, it's the worst battle plan ever, except for the fact that God is a God who fights for his people. That's what he does. He fights with his people and he fights for his people. And so they won that day. The walls came tumbling down, as you will, because that's who God is. He's a God who fights with and for his people. But here's the caveat. When they have his favor. When they have his favor. We all have the presence of God. We don't all have his favor. There's a time in Israel's history where they go and they're under the judgment of God and they're taken away into Assyrian captivity and Babylonian captivity. And so he's a God who fights for his people when they have his favor. And so the question that you and I need to be asking is, okay, what do I need to do? How do I have the favor of God? And it's exactly what he shows us in the following verse. Verse 7, take a look at this. Be strong, and again, very courageous. Not just minimally courageous, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Why? That you may be successful in whatever it is that you do. Again, it's the same thing in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night so that you're careful to do everything that it tells you to do, for then you will be prosperous and then you will have success. In other words, church, you want to have the favor of God. You want to be successful. Then success begins with me. It begins in relationship with me. It begins with love for me, and it continues on in obedience to my word. That's how you have success. That's why he says meditate on this thing day and night, like know the word of God. But don't just know it, but be sure that you practice it and put it into practice. Then you'll be prosperous. Then you'll have success. And before you and I read this thing and we're thinking, okay, this is just an old covenant promise. This is something that's just unique to Joshua. You got to understand, James is going to say this under the new covenant in the same way. James chapter 1, verse 25. Here's what he says. He says, whoever looks intently at the perfect law, which gives freedom. In other words, the law of Jesus Christ. Paul's going to say in Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has now set you free from the law of sin and death. And so that's what he's referring to. Whoever looks intently at the perfect law, the law of grace, the law of Christ under the new covenant, which gives freedom and then continues in that law, it says, not forgetting what they've learned, but doing those things, they will be blessed in whatever it is they do which does not always mean financial or material blessing, but here it is. It does always mean that there's going to be spiritual blessing. It does mean that there's going to be this internal fruit of righteousness that can never be replaced. That as you and I surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we understand his word, we meditate on it day and night, we're careful to do everything that he tells us to do as best as we possibly can, we will have his favor and the Holy Spirit will begin to produce his life in us. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And so it may not necessarily give you the raise that you are looking for. However, it will give you a reward and it will give you a blessing that no money will ever be able to touch. And that's what he's saying right here, church. Like there is success and surrender. It's the whole promise that's right here. It's why he has courage. Like there is success and surrender. There is success and obedience to my law. There is victory and repentance. There is prosperity and faithfulness. And so here it is, church, take courage and don't deviate to the right or to the left is what he's saying. Take courage and don't move to the right or to the left. Take courage. Don't let this book of the law depart from your lips. Meditate on it all the time. Do the things that it tells you to do for then you will be prosperous and then you will have success. And the reality, church, is like for a lot of us, like that is the courage that he's calling you to walk in today. 
It's this courage that says yes to the things of God and no to the things of the world. It's this courage that says, you know what? I'm going to follow you and you alone. I'm not going to follow my own opinions. I'm not going to follow my own ways. I'm not going to follow my friends. I'm not going to follow culture. I am following you and you alone. And and, and that's what I'm chasing after today. One of my favorite descriptions in scripture of a man is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 6. But it's speaking of this king of Judah named Jehoshaphat. And it simply describes him as this. It says that his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. I mean, that's how he's described. It says, his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. You know why it says that? Verse three, we read that it it says that because he's not a king that consulted with the Baals like every other king did, but it says he sought the Lord and he followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Like this is who, this is who Jehoshaphat was. He didn't, he didn't consult the Baals like every other king. He didn't do the norm. He didn't do what everybody else was doing. Like he, he just sought the Lord and he followed his commands rather than the practices of everybody else in the country that day. And although it, it didn't just stop right there. It says he went above and beyond that. Verse 6 is going to say that he removed the high places and the Asherah poles that were there in Judah. In other words, like his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord because he didn't do the popular thing to do. He wasn't trying to be the most popular king. He was trying to be the king who didn't deviate to the right or to the left. He was trying to be the king that was being faithful to the Lord, his God. He was trying to be the king whose heart was steadfast and whose heart was strong before the Lord. Like that's why he's described as a man whose heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And church, can I just be honest with you? Like I pray for that for us. This is how I pray. I I want this for my life. I want to be that man who's defined by God as, as, can honestly say like his heart is courageous in the ways of the Lord. I want that to be true of our church. I want us to be men and women whose heart is courageous in the ways of God. This is what I pray Caleb, over Caleb pretty much every single night. Father, would you come and would you give him courage to not just know the things of God, to not just love the things of God, but to do the things that you've called him to do, that love would, would play out in his life and that it would result in praise and glory for your name. God, give him the courage to walk with you, Father, when no one else is willing to walk with you. I love the way Mark Twain puts that. He says this, he says, it is, it, it, it's curious to me that physical courage could be, could, could be so common in the world, but moral courage so rare. I'm going to say that again. He says this. He says, it's curious to me that physical courage could be so common in the world today, but moral courage so rare. I mean, where in the world is the moral courage today? I mean, we're looking around. We've got to be asking that question, like, where in the world is the moral courage today? And granted, it's going to be kind of hard to do when you don't believe in moral objective truth or anything like that. Like, that's going to be really, really difficult. But, but where in the world is the moral courage, even in the church today? Church, where, where in the world is the moral courage? Why don't we demand it from our highest leaders in the land? Why don't we demand it of ourselves even here in the, cur- in the church? Like, where are the parents that are willing to live out faithfulness in front of their kids and pass on that faithfulness to them every single day? Church, like, where are the believers that are willing to do whatever it takes in order to be reconciled with anyone that they've hurt? Where are the husbands that are willing to take that first step and move toward their spouse in order to bring about reconciliation and healing once again in a broken marriage? Church, where where, where are the men and the women that are willing to be honest about their addiction and ask for help? Where in the world are the singles that are willing to fight for purity today? Church, where in the world are the students that are willing to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ when no one else is willing to stand? I mean, church, all of those things, it takes courage to do these things. It takes courage to keep standing when no one else is willing to stand. I mean, I never forget a few years back, um, a buddy of mine was telling a story about a friend of his who was talking about his high school daughter. 
And he was telling this, he was kind of bragging about his daughter, but evidently uh, she was, a, I think, a senior in high school, and she'd gone out to the movies with uh, her boyfriend, this guy that she started dating, and, and a group of friends that night. And they went out to the movie theater and just, quite honestly, she found herself in a really, really awkward situation. This guy started getting really handsy with her, uh, started pushing the limits quite a bit, and just, she had enough. All of a sudden, she stands up, she smacks the guy in the face. She says, I am not that kind of girl. You do not get to talk, you, don't, you do not get to treat me like that. And so she leaves that movie theater in the middle of the night, comes home early, and dad's sitting there going, baby, why are you home early? Why, why did you, what's, are you okay? And she goes, dad, I'm fine. He just started getting handsy with me. So I smacked him in the face and I told him, I am not that kind of girl. And dad just looks at her and is like, you did, wait, come, you did what? You st he starts getting handsy and you smacked him. You said, you, I'm not that kind of girl. And he, dad starts, he's like, yeah, buddy. He starts getting so pumped up and he's like, that's my girl. That's what I'm talking about. Like dad starts jumping up at dad, high-fiving her. I mean, he was so pumped. My buddy who's, who's listening to this thing, he's like, I'm gonna need you to tell me everything that you did and how you raised that girl right. But turns out like, that's what we're talking about. Like it takes courage to stand when no one else is standing. It takes courage to walk with the Lord, when very few other people around you are walking with the Lord, it takes courage to fight for purity in a culture that is not fighting for purity anywhere else. Church, it takes courage to fight against injustice because what it means is that oftentimes you're going to be standing alone. I mean, just ask NASCAR nowadays, right? I don't know if you're following many of these stories or anything like that, but this is exactly what NASCAR is doing right now. It's finally, after so many years, having the courage to tear down old idols, Right? And they're saying, no more. We are no longer going to be known as a sport that's racist. We're, we're, we're just not going to do that. And they're saying, no, enough is enough. We're making major changes. We're not going to be known as that sport. I don't know if you've been following this story with Bubba Wallace this past week or not. I've got a picture of it right here. One of the most beautiful stories from this past week, but Bubba Wallace is the only African-American NASCAR driver on the circuit. And um, Early in the week, there was a noose in a garage. Praise God, we found out it was not a hate crime. It happened to be there. It was not actually a noose or any of those kinds of things. Nevertheless, there's this beautiful picture here of NASCAR making a change. And all the other drivers on the circuit, they're surrounding his car and they're walking his car to the front of the line. And they're all in one voice and in unison saying, you know what, this is a brand new day for NASCAR. We're doing things differently. No more on my watch. And what I'm saying, church, is like, it takes courage to go out on a limb and fight against injustice. It takes courage to go out on a limb and stand for something that not everybody else is standing for. It takes courage to stand against injustice when it means you're going to lose a ton of fans along the way. And that may mean money. And that may mean safety or comfort or something like that. But it takes courage to stand for, against injustice when very few other people are going to be standing with you in that time. Church, it takes courage to say yes to the call of God in your life. And the reality, church, like some of you guys are there. You've been hearing the call of God in your life, and he's been saying, I want you to do something different. Maybe it's a ministry calling. Maybe it's a professional business calling or something, but some of you are there, and you know that God is shifting things up in your life, and he's saying, it's time to make a change. It's time to take, say yes to this job over here and no to this good one over here, even though it may be paying a little bit better. It's time to make a change. What I'm saying to the church, it takes courage to say yes to the call of God in your life, whatever that may be. I mean, I'll never forget... Uh, a few years, I think it was about 12 years back, we were still in the middle of the seminary days, and we were a part of a small group. I was a part of this men's group, and um, we were going around the room this night, and we were sharing different prayer requests, and this is my buddy Scott Noel, but um, 
uh, we were going around this, this group, and this is one of these evenings where we're kind of, hey, pray for me. I'm a little stressed out, got a lot of tests, you know, that kind of a thing. It wasn't really heavy stuff or anything like that. And Scott's a guy that was a man of very few words. He actually worked for the IRS, very conservative guy by nature, very, uh, he just didn't speak a whole lot. And so it actually came around time uh, for him to share his prayer request. I'll never forget what he says. We're all like, hey, pray for my test. I'm a little bit straight, stressed out. And he just pipes up and he goes, yeah, guys, I need you to pray for us because uh, we think that God has been telling us to build an orphanage in Kenya. And, uh, and that means we're going to have to sell a lot of things and it's going to change everything about the way we do life. And he's like, so if you could just pray for us, that'd be awesome. And we, and we just, we stopped, we, we put that, we're like, wait, Scott, come again? Wait, so what? You need us to pray because God's telling you to go stop what you're doing over here and go build an orphanage in Africa. And he's like, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty terrifying thing. Me and Georgiana have been praying about it a little bit, but he's like, that's what God's telling us to do. And so I need you to pray for the courage to be able to do that. And I'll tell you, like, it's exactly what we did. We sat there as a group and we prayed. We said, Father, give them the courage to follow your leading. Father, give them the courage to do exactly what it is that you've called them to do. Not this big lofty thing, which is, which is great to think about, like, like what you are actually calling them to do. And we prayed for them. And I'll tell you right now, it's exactly what they did. 12 years later, they're out there. They started Galileo School and an orphanage out there in conjunction with these other Christian church ministries there with, with natives that were there in Nairobi. And they're there and they're doing the work of ministry and they left everything behind to go in to follow that call. And church, I'll tell you, like some of you guys are there and maybe it's not, and it's not always a call in the ministry. Sometimes it's even a call out of ministry. I'm thinking of other friends. They were the ones that were on the way to Africa and God stopped that call and broke the entire thing apart and said, no, 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 your, your move is in business. And they are pursuing business wholeheartedly for the praise and for the glory of his name today. But church, it takes courage to listen to the leading of God and your life and to say yes to whatever the new is that he may want to do in you. Church, it takes courage to say that I'm sorry and, and, and seek reconciliation with someone that you've hurt. You don't always know how it's going to go. It takes humility to do that. Church, it takes courage to be the first one to cross that line and to say, babe, you are right. Husband, friend, parent, like you are right. I was wrong and I need you to forgive me. And the church, it takes courage to cross that line. Church, it takes courage to ask for help and to admit that this addiction in my life, this thing I've been trying to say no to and burn out of my life for a really long time, it's got control over me and I'm not able to say no to it alone. It takes courage to stand up and to say, I need help from my life group, from my friends, from counselors, from pastors here at the church, from ongoing counseling. I need help from, from Freedom Prayer Ministry. I need people to come in and to help me, uh, help me uh, get help for the addictions that are in my life. Church, it takes courage to come and to cross that aisle and to share your faith for the very first time. And again, some of us are right there. Like you, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you know these people that are in your life that God has been saying, go and talk to them, embrace them, have that conversation. And you know how terrifying it is. And what I'm saying is church, it takes courage to say yes to the leading of God and to cross that aisle. And to say, you know what, I will be used of you, even though I may not have this gift, right? I may not be the Martins or anything like that, but I will say yes to you and follow you in this call of obedience. And I will cross that aisle and I will share my faith with this complete stranger or maybe even this loved one in my life that is even more terrifying to confront. Again, I'll never forget back in uh, Revive Texas a few years back. Uh, I was in this group, right? We, we team up in groups of four. We go into the community. We pray with people. And again, we do that. We share the gospel with different people. And I was in this group, and there was this junior high student that was in our group. And I remember thinking, I was like, this is awesome. This kid, well, 
let's be fair, he did skip school that day. I may have had some of the reasons why he was there that day, but and nevertheless, he was skipping school and he was out there to go and to share the gospel with people. And I remember talking with him and I was like, buddy, I was like, hey man, props to you for being out here and doing this. This is not easy. I was like, what made you do it? Why did you want to, why did you want to come and join us today? And he goes, I, honestly, he's like, I just, God's done so much stuff in my life and I need to figure out how I can tell others about it. He's like, I need to do that. Like God has changed my life and, and I, have to, I have to be obedient. I have to go and do this thing. And I was like, dude, this is incredible, man. Way to go. Way to be out here. I remember we got out to this place where we were going to go engage with people and stuff. And I remember coming out and he was terrified, right? He's never, he's never done this before. He's like, I don't talk to adults. I, I've never shared my faith in my life. And he was terrified. And we gathered together as a group of people and we just started praying, God, would you give us the courage to do the things that you've called us to do? God, would you give us the courage to engage the people that you've already prepared along the way? And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we powered up that day, right? And I'll never forget that this kid just starts marching along and all of a sudden he just goes off and he diverts and he just starts engaging this couple that's there on the path. And it was this beautiful engagement. Like he just prays with his family that's right there along the path and he just encourages them and he walks into the truths of God's word. And the reality is like he, he kept doing that over and over again. And what he'll tell you to this day is like, I never stopped being afraid, but I continue to do it anyway. And church, like, that's what it is. Like, church, it takes courage to cross that aisle and to do the things that he's called you to do. And so that's the, that's the hope for us today because the reality is, church, like every single new and powerful work that he wants to do in you, it will demand that you rise up and you take courage this day. And so church, like, that's what I hope and I pray for us today. It's, it's there in God's word. I hope and pray that this will be true of you, that it wouldn't just be Joshua, that it wouldn't just be Jehoshaphat, that it wouldn't just be some of the heroes of the faith, that you and I would rise up and we would take hold of courage today, and that we would be obedient to the things of God, and we would do the things that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is calling us to do. And so church, that's how I want to very, very simply just wrap up things today. I want to pray a blessing over you, and I want to bless you with courage in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would rise up and do those things. So if you're with me still, would you just go ahead and bow with me right now? But Father, we want to pray exactly for that. God, I want to bless my friends that are listening today with courage. In Jesus' name, would you give them your courage that they would rise up and do everything that it is you have called them to do. Would you help them go and take the land that you've already prepared for them to take? Father, I bless someone today with courage who's having a hard time asking for help. God, would they have the courage today to rise up and to tell someone in their life group, tell a pastor here on staff that they need help saying no to some things that they should have crucified a long time ago. Father, would you bless that person with courage today? Lord, for the person who needs courage standing against injustice because it feels like they're standing alone, God, I want to bless that person with courage right now in Jesus' name. Would they have the courage and strength to continue and to keep standing even when everyone else has sat down? Father, let them keep standing with you. Lord, for the person who needs courage saying yes to a calling on their life, I want to bless that person with courage to say yes to that direction, that calling, whatever it is that you're leading them to do. Lord, for the person who needs help seeking reconciliation and being the first to apologize and to say, I'm sorry, I want to bless that person with courage today that they would do exactly that thing, that you would breathe life into a broken marriage, that you would breathe life into a broken family, a broken friendship, a broken work relationship. God, all for the praise and for the glory of your name. And so, Jesus, we thank you that 
in the middle of our lostness, in the, in the middle of our helpless estate, you had courage. You condescended from heaven. You took on flesh. You lived the sinless life that we could not live, and you willingly went to the cross, and you suffered, you bled, and you died. That any and all who would come to you in genuine faith may have life and live now and for all eternity. And so, Father, we remember you, that you are the author of courage. You're the example of courage. You're the giver of courage. And so, Father, we bow before you and we pray for it today. Would you bless us? Would you bless me? Would you bless this church family with courage today? And God, I pray these things in Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen and amen.